Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. everybody. This week, I'm diving into another listener request. Brody asks that I cover the first man to walk on the moon. And if you follow the pod on Instagram, you may have seen a picture of his request. It was super cute. Definitely go take a look if you haven't already. I will admit, I knew very little about the details surrounding the Apollo 11 mission and the space program in general. It wasn't a topic covered in depth in school, And so when I received Brody's suggestion, I knew I would be in for a whole new level of education. And let me tell you, there was a lot that went into successfully sending a human being into space, including inventing brand new math. Seriously. So how in the heck did we get a man on the moon? And why did we start the space program? Grab your coffee, peeps. Let's do this. Upon touching the lunar surface for the first time, astronaut Neil Armstrong proclaimed, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Apollo 11 was the sixth man flight to the moon and the first to have men walk on the lunar surface. However, America's mission to put a man on the moon did not start and end with the Apollo program. In fact, Americans' fascination with and dedication to space exploration started a decade earlier and took a series of trial runs and experiments before getting to the point where trustworthy newsman Walter Cronkite would be speechless on national television. And though I thought about just focusing on the Apollo 11 mission itself, I found the run-up to the launch and exploration of the moon incredibly fascinating. Plus, I think it's always important to provide a little context to really paint the picture as to how America got on the moon in the first place. So, prepare yourselves. This will definitely be a two-parter. NASA, which stands for National Aeronautics Space Administration, was officially established on October 1, 1958, in response to the Soviet Union's space exploration program. In the middle of a geopolitical competition known as the Cold War, America was dedicated to showcasing their advances and superiority in an effort to attract countries to follow their lead. The Cold War, a fascinating and scary time during history, which will be covered in a future episode, was primarily a race and contest between two dominating world powers and economic systems, the Soviet Union and communism versus the United States and capitalism. This war focused on influence and dominating the world stage, and differed from other wars like those combating dictatorships in that no bullets would be fired, hence the term Cold War. Since it was a competition of ideas and influence, it helped feed a contest of scientific achievements and would inspire what would become known as the space race. At the start of this marathon, it looked as if the Soviets might win, launching an artificial satellite known as Sputnik 1 on October 4, 1957. It successfully orbited the Earth for three weeks before its batteries died and it ceased transmission, eventually falling back into the atmosphere some two months later. However, the success of Sputnik scared those in power in the United States. 
The prevailing argument was if the Soviets were able to launch a satellite that could orbit over the United States, it was only a matter of time before they had nuclear weapons doing the same. And it was this crisis of confidence, in part, that led to the founding of NASA and the commitment to upstage the Soviets in space exploration. NASA wasn't the United States' first venture into exploring the cosmos. Its predecessor, the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, or NACA, was established in the early part of the 20th century, and since the 40s had been researching rockets and artificial satellites. After the success of Sputnik, and with the push of the Eisenhower administration, NACA put together a special committee on space technology that advocated for a program dedicated to the, quote, research and development for the conquest of space. And on July 29, 1958, President Eisenhower signed the National Aeronautics and Space Act, and NASA was officially born. The first space project from NASA was the Mercury program. Announced on December 17, 1958, Mercury's goal was to put a man in space, preferably before the Soviets. But who would take on this historic and never-before-filled job? NASA was creating a position that had never before existed, astronaut. Also, funny side note, the Americans chose the title astronaut to differentiate themselves from the Soviets who used cosmonaut, because of course they needed to be different. So, who would be the ideal candidate for this new career of astronaut? NASA representatives knew a few things would be absolutely required of their applicants. They had to be used to the idea of danger and be able to cope in high-pressure situations. So they looked around at the jobs already in existence to determine which positions would lend itself to the ideal temperament. Jobs like submariner, deep-sea divers, and test pilots were all considered, as were other less serious suggestions such as midgets, their words, not mine, due to their small size, women, apparently for their fortitude, and Buddhists for their ability to exist in long lapses of time in a trance-like state. Weird. Ultimately, military test pilots were selected as the perfect drafting pool. In NASA's opinion, military pilots were ideal as they had already gone through security clearance and review, would be familiar with pressure suits and complex cockpits. NASA knew whoever took the job would have a steep learning curve. The more familiar they were with the overall mechanics, the better. So, what else was required in order to apply to the NASA space program? Anyone interested would be required to have logged 1,500 hours of flight time, graduation from a test pilot school, be in excellent physical health, be between 25 and 40 years old, could be no taller than 5'11", and have a degree in engineering or the equivalent. And if you met these minimum qualifications and were selected, your salary as a NASA astronaut would be between $8,300 and $12,700 per year. Adjusting that for inflation, that's between $75,000 and $114,000. Definitely not a salary to sneeze at, but also not sure how much money I would need to be comfortable risking my life. But that's just me. Of the applicants, 508 military test pilots were pulled, which eventually narrowed down to just seven. Included in the original seven was Alan Shepard and John Glenn, who would make their own history in the space program. Shepard is known as the first American launched into space, and Glenn would be the first American to orbit the Earth. 
However, though they tried their hardest, America would be left with egg on their face once again when cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin successfully orbited the Earth on April 12, 1961. It would take just another month for the American Shepard to reach the same feat, launching successfully on May 5th. Also, my apologies to any Russian listeners. I tried very hard to get Yuri's last name right. Americans were very disappointed and were beginning to think they would always come in second to the Soviet Union when it came to exploring the stars. Trying to reframe the space race and put both superpowers on a level playing field, newly elected President John F. Kennedy addressed Congress on May 25th and, in asking for a large increase in funding, proclaimed the new space challenge should be putting a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Therefore, ask the Congress... Above and beyond the increases I have earlier requested for space activities to provide the funds which are needed to meet the following national goals. First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space and none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. Since neither country had accomplished this, and neither country had the technology nor rocket power to complete the mission at the time, Kennedy's announcement was seen as a true competition of who had the best scientists, and by extension, who had the better country. The idea of sending a man to the moon seemed like an act of fiction. Many thought the proposal of a human landing on the lunar surface was the thing of movies and novels, However, with funding and support of the federal government, plans continued to figure out the best way to put a man on the moon. Although NASA had experienced success with the Mercury missions, they knew they were not ready to make the jump to a manned lunar landing just yet. They still needed additional technology, development, and a whole lot more testing. In an effort to bridge the gap and to keep people interested, NASA announced the Gemini program. Gemini would act as the transitional mission between Mercury and the expedition that would put a man on the moon, Apollo. Gemini would start testing technologies that would make a moonwalk possible, such as an operational spacecraft. During Mercury, the main mission was just to confirm human beings could survive in space and to monitor the impacts of space launch on the human body, so control of the actual spacecraft was done remotely on Earth, like the largest, most expensive, and farthest-ranging drone you could ever imagine. Now that NASA knew human beings could survive in space without facing direct harm, Gemini had to ensure human and machine alike could survive extended periods in orbit and return safely. Gemini's missions included the first spacewalk and testing of rendezvous and docking maneuvers, a key element needed to ensure Apollo would be successful. Still losing to the Soviets, Gemini's first crewed mission would not launch until March 23, 1965, five months after the USSR launched the Vostok 3KV in October of 1964. However, NASA kept their eye on the long game, the first to the moon, and successfully completed 10 missions, all of which vitally important in building the road for Apollo. And successful it was. Now the Gemini had perfected maneuvers and extra vehicle activity, known as EVA, or basically astronauts doing activities outside of their craft, it was time to make practice runs under Apollo. 
As I mentioned earlier, Apollo 11 was actually the sixth manned mission of the Apollo program. Before the men selected could step onto the moon's surface, a number of other strategic mission goals had to be met in order to proceed. In the run-up to Apollo 11, NASA tested the command service module, known as the CSM, for lunar orbit and a dress rehearsal of the Apollo 11 mission with everything except the actual moon landing. NASA was all about testing and retesting to ensure its safety and capabilities in space. This is not to say Apollo was perfect. Unfortunately, on January 27, 1967, during a dress rehearsal for launch for Apollo 1, initially known as AS-204, a cabin fire sparked and killed all three crew members on board. Virgil Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger B. Chaffee. While others had perished during other testing phases of the program, Apollo 1 was a shock for the nation and a major blow to NASA as the accident occurred on board the launch pad in the command module, putting the idea of manned lunar landing in serious jeopardy. The tragedy of Apollo 1 spurred investigations, both by Congress and internally at NASA, to determine the cause of the blaze and to put in fixes to ensure it never happened again. Manned flight crews were suspended 20 months while the various hazards were addressed. However, by October 1968, space flights recommenced, making way for Apollo 11 just under a year later. Be sure to tune in next week as I talk about the gentleman who made up the mission crew of Apollo 11, talk about more science than I think I'm qualified for, and share the amazing and jaw-dropping story that is the moon landing. I'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Mm -hmm.